If you would, let's turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll read verse 10 through 11. It says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What the world desperately needs are churches that truly reflect Jesus and the shape of Scripture. What the world desperately needs are churches that truly reflect Jesus and the shape of Scripture. A few weeks ago, as the year began, I mentioned that there are 8 billion plus people in this world. 8 billion plus. And were I to ask you the question... What is the most prevalent religion in the world today? How would you respond? If I were to ask you, what's the most prevalent religion in the world today, what would you say? It wouldn't take long for me to answer. And as much as I dislike the answer, I have to affirm its truthfulness. The answer is found in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. The most popular religion in the world today is confusion. And God is not the author of it. So says Paul through the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. If God is not the author of it, one suspects that the devil is. After all, he's the author of lies. John 8 and verse 44. What is desperately needed in the world are churches that truly reflect Jesus and honor His Word, the New Testament. That's what's truly needed You know, when we think about the possibility of unity, a divided Christendom, people who all claim to be part of the church or who claim to love Jesus, a divided uh, Christendom has this as a result. A confused, ignorant, and disbelieving world. I believe that those who really want to reflect Jesus and those who really want to honor the New Testament want to help people not be confused. That it ought to be our desire to give people hope and conviction that's based on the truth of God. And what I can say without hesitation is this. New Testament Christianity is God's unity movement. 
It has worked in the past. It can work in the present. And it will work in the future. There are some things that transcend time. And the people of God reflecting Jesus and the people of God honoring the New Testament and seeking to abide by its teaching, the teaching of Jesus, that will be timeless until our Lord returns. This morning I'd like for us to look at four considerations about restoring New Testament Christianity. Four considerations about restoring New Testament Christianity. First of all, I would like for us to consider the awful matter of a divided Christendom. The awful matter of a divided Christendom. It would seem to me that Jesus addressed this matter. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21, verses 23 through 27. Matthew 21, verses 23 through 27. And in this passage, Jesus asked a penetrating question. He asked the question, John's baptism, where did it come from? From heaven or from men? I suggest that that question of Jesus is just as crucial, just as pertinent today as when he asked it back then. Our practices, our beliefs either come from heaven or from men. The awful problem of a divided Christendom is that people elevate the thinking of men to the truth of God. Look at Matthew 15, verses 18, rather verses 8 and 9. Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. The awful problem of a divided Christendom. How can we get on the same page to reflect Jesus and His Word? Well, when you look at Matthew 15, 8 and 9, Jesus says, In vain do they worship me, quoting the Old Testament, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Stay in the same chapter because the words of Jesus are penetrating and strong. Jesus says in Matthew 15, verses 13 and 14, Every plant that my heavenly Father planted not shall be, what? Rooted up. He speaks of blind guides leading the blind. One of the things I know about the religious division of today, if we immediately ceased lifting human opinion to the level of God's law, many of the problems would cease then and there. Many of the problems would cease then and there. And remember this, when we eliminate placing human opinions to the level of God's Word, 
we will eradicate a lot of religious division. I realize this is not a pleasant subject, but I'm going to say this. Young people and old people alike need to think often about the importance, the priority, the essentiality of restoring New Testament Christianity because New Testament Christianity is God's unity movement. That's the way it is. And if the world is confused and in disbelief and divided, what the world needs to see is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, and His holy will. The awful problem of division. You know, it doesn't take long for a product that's really a good product to have clones come out. As a matter of fact, there is even in the marketing world a term for this. It's called genericide. Genericide. It's interesting. Sometimes when a person needs a facial tissue, and of course we have just the proper one here at Westside, the person will ask, I need a Kleenex. Could you hand me a Kleenex? There is a gelatin dessert that most people typically call what? Jello. There is an adhesive bandage that most of us will put on owies or scrapes of little ones. What do we call that? Band-Aid. If you are from the Mid-South like your preacher, there is a delicious carbonated drink that we refer to as Coke. Coke. Genericide. There are other possibilities out there, but really when we say things, we mean what we say. And when we talk about Christ and His church, we are not talking about some kind of cheap off-brand. We are talking about reflecting Jesus and being part of the family of God. But genericide so common it's become even accepted in the area of religion. Isn't that the truth? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, because in 1 Kings 12, we read of a man by the name of Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Jeroboam was... An innovator. He was an innovator who did what he did without divine authorization. When you look at Jeroboam, it is said in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 27 through the end of the chapter, that at a somewhat early point in Israel's history, Jeroboam came along and changed the object of worship from the true and living God, look at 27 and 28, to two golden calves. Secondly, 
He not only changed the object of worship, he changed the place of worship. From Jerusalem to Dan and Bethel. He's an innovator. He's someone who does what he is doing, though, without divine approval, without a divine okay, without divine sanction. Changing the object and the place of worship, notice what he does next. He changes the priesthood. And as most people recognize, under the Old Testament, those of the tribe of Levi served in the priesthood. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Not so in the worship system that has been devised by Jeroboam. And then notice what else he does. He changes the time of worship and specifically the Feast of Tabernacles. He changes the time to another time. Changing the object, the place, the priesthood, the time. As kindly as I can possibly say, there are people who in the name of Jesus do the same exact thing today. No amen. May it never be. And I understand what he was saying by making the amen, but man, if anything should make us irate, it should be that. Because I wonder if it reflects Jesus. If it honors His Word and respects His Word. If your car is stolen, and let's just say you walk out of the building after the amen has been said at the end of services. Ron, let's say you're walking out to your car and your car has gone. Uh, you would say, oh my, what else could go on? And then you would say something like this. The police are going to come and they're going to ask you several questions. They're going to ask you about the make of your vehicle, the model of your vehicle, the car, uh, the color of your vehicle, the VIN number, the license plate. Why do they ask you those questions? Because they are trying to identify a vehicle that belongs to you that was stolen. It only makes sense that we ought to be able to identify what belongs to Jesus by asking similar questions. So as we consider this subject, consider the awfulness of religious division all in the name of Jesus. But here's a second consideration. Consider the beauty of true unity in Christ. Consider the beauty of true unity in Christ. While the Bible speaks of a falling away, 1 Timothy 4.1, that some would have itching ears and would not heed the word of God, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, while Paul would say to the elders of Ephesus, from among yourselves grievous wolves will arise and not spare the flock, Acts 20, verses 29 through 32. The awfulness of religious division should break our hearts. 
If you recall a couple of weeks back in talking about 8 billion people in the world, approximately 42% of the world knows next to nothing about Jesus. We need to be thinking in terms of our community, yes, but we must also think in terms of the world. Now, considering the beauty of the truth concerning Jesus. The word restore or restoration is a very important term. To restore means to bring back to an original state. To bring back to an original state. And as we talk about restoring Christianity, the idea is restoring Christianity, bringing it back to its original God-pleasing, God-honoring state. In reflecting Jesus and respecting and seeking to abide by the New Testament. Just as the scripture reading said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 10 and 11. There would be far fewer factions religiously. There would be a lot less friction religiously if we determine to reflect the character of Jesus and to abide by the teaching of the New Testament. It is that simple. The seed is what? The seed that can make people Christians is what? The Word of God, Luke 8, 11. And so any time the seed in its purity and in its beauty is planted, the possibility for Christians results. People who reflect the attitude of Jesus and who in action and thought want to respect the words of Jesus in the New Testament. Let's focus on a third consideration quickly. It's a beautiful thought to bring back to the original. Why can we not just do that? Why have the pollution and stain of generations of opinions? I read recently again from the most common manual of the largest Protestant group in the world, the Baptist Church. And it talked about at the beginning... Baptism was the entryway to Jesus and His church. And how at the beginning there was no such thing as any person who was unbaptized being called a Christian. And then in the manual there is an expression that I quote, Now... It is different. Why? Has God changed? 
Has sin changed? Has man so evolved that he doesn't need to hear God and deal with sin? Has God's word changed? Consider God's platform for unity. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. As kindly as I can say to those who put out that manual and those who abide largely by its teaching, yes, times have changed, but the truth has not changed. The truth hasn't changed. Now look at Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. In that passage you will see seven ones after dealing with various attitudinal matters in the opening three verses of this chapter, you will see seven ones. And look for the fourth one. What is the fourth of the seven ones? What's right in the middle? One, one Lord. Everything about which the Apostle Paul is writing revolves around the one Lord. His life, His sacrifice, His love, His instruction. As the writer of Hebrews would put, put it, God has in these last days spoken through His Son. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God has nothing else Nothing else he wants to say than what he has uttered in Christ. There will not be a better, more improved product than that found in Jesus and the gospel and his church. It'll be a poor substitute. It'll be like Jeroboam. Incidentally, 21 times throughout the rest of the Old Testament... It said a particular rulers, he went the way of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. I have to think about what I say as a preacher. Does it reflect the heart and the spirit of Jesus? Is it true to the scripture? Because the only way restoration is possible is to look to Jesus and his word. That's true for anyone who speaks concerning matters Christian. Now, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased to hear him. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Matthew 17, 5. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Focus now with me on the remaining six. God's platform for unity. There needs to be agreement on the fact that Jesus is God's Son. One Lord. He is human. He's divine. 
He went to the cross and died for our sins, having lived a perfect life and having become a perfect sacrifice for us. All the things that Drew was talking about in the Lord's Supper meditation earlier. But the passage begins with one body. Note that there are as many bodies as there are lords. One. One. Ephesians 1, 21 through 23. Note that that body is the church. In Colossians 1, 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus said he would build his church. He would make his body a reality. Matthew 16, 16 through 18. He purchased the body, the church, with his blood. Acts 20 and verse 28. Now what you've got to see is this. There is one body, and yet the body is another way of speaking of the church. How many churches are there? One. It is not wrong to be undenominational, non-denominational, and anti-denominational because that's what the Word of God would indicate. One body. Secondly, one spirit. As Adam prayed earlier, spirit, the Spirit gave us Scripture Men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21 Scripture helps us to know it gives us doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 that's what Scripture does. The Holy Spirit of God works in the Word of God to help people become the people of God and to please God more and more. And while the Holy Spirit is not Scripture, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit works always in harmony with the Word. Important to bring that out. One body, one Spirit. And then what does the text say? One hope. One hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 I hope that we have partaken of when we embrace the gospel of Jesus. Colossians 1.23 A hope that saves, Romans 8.24 A hope that is an anchor, Hebrews 6.18 and 19 A hope that's living, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 It's a consideration Look at God's platform for unity. One body, one spirit, 
No wonder why the Bible says, Try the spirits, whether they be of God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John 4, 1. One hope. One Lord. Number five. One faith. There are as many faiths as there are bodies and lords. Singular. One faith. How does real faith come? You probably know well. Probably as well as I. Maybe better. Faith comes by and hearing by by the Word of God, the Word of God. If I want to love and reflect Jesus in my life, I need to hear what He has said through His authorized spokespersons in Scripture. That's how faith is created and it's how faith grows and is strengthened. One faith. Now, to some people who think this is good, but it's not such a big deal, look at 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. Charge them that they teach no different doctrine. Because a different doctrine will water down or pervert faith. 1 Timothy 1.3 Charge them to teach no different doctrine. Go to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13. 2 Timothy 1.13 Hold to the pattern of sound words which you've seen in me. In faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. You want to reflect Jesus? You want your faith to really be God-pleasing and God-honoring? Hold to the pattern of healthy instruction. We go to Titus, and you look at Titus chapter 2. You can consider Titus 2.1. You can look at verses 7 and 8. You can look at verse 10. And repeatedly in this little three-chapter book, there is a stress on speaking the things that become sound doctrine, healthy teaching, adorning the doctrine, verses 9 and 10. Because so doing will help us to be people of faith and to grow and strengthen our faith in Him. Jesus Himself said, If you continue in my word, then are you truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, 31 and 32. The idea of one faith. Notice the next one, one baptism. One baptism. I find it more than a little bit interesting and very significant that of all the things that could have been mentioned by Paul in God's platform for awesome unity in the Lord, he mentions baptism specifically. He mentions baptism specifically. 
It is at the point of baptism that one is buried with Christ and arises to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. It is at the point of baptism that one is baptized into the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19. You're responding to God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and what God has done to make salvation possible for us. You're saying, I want that. Scripture says baptism is for the forgiveness of sins and the reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38. I don't think we can improve on how God says things, do you? What's baptism for? The forgiveness of sins and the reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does God's Word say? God's Word says baptism saves. 1 Peter 3.21. That baptism is the washing away of one's sins as we call on the name of the Lord. Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. The Bible teaches that baptism is the point that we put on Christ. Galatians three twenty seven. People need to consider what the Bible says about baptism. Don't you believe that? And no one can really be upholding God's platform for unity the way one should if one tries to belittle or take baptism out of what God puts there. One, 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 one. And notice it says, One God and Father of all, our salvation is a Godhead thing, a Trinitarian thing. Holy Spirit's the second of the seven. Jesus, the fourth of the seven, one Lord, and the Father. And what that does is cause us to see that from beginning to end, God has had a pattern and had a plan whereby He could bring sinful men to Him. Over 50 years ago now, I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, I did not become part of a man-made denomination. I did not become part of a sect. I did not come, become part of a piece of a pie. I became part of the body of Christ. Having embraced the Spirit-given Word in faith... And I have hope in Jesus, my Lord. And so do you, if that's how you came to Jesus, too. And I'll say this as kindly and yet as firmly as I can. If wanting to say that religious division in the name of Christendom is awful, if I am wrong in saying that the truth of the unity that's to be found in Jesus is beautiful and awesome. And if I'm wrong in saying that God's got a platform for unity and we can see it right in His Word, and Ephesians 4 makes it very clear. 
And all that happened 50 plus years ago was I just became a member of another religious group different socially and socioeconomically in history than a lot of other groups but having a few things in common. If that's all that I became part of, I want out and I want out now. Because to restore means to bring back to an original state. And the belief that that is possible through Jesus and the reception of his word is a good thing, a noble thing, and a right thing. And the day that we give up this principle is the day that we will begin to forfeit our identity in Christ. There may be some people who devise patterns when there are not biblical patterns. There may be some who see no biblical patterns when there are biblical patterns. But I will not allow the abuse of what people say to be patterns or not patterns. I will not allow them to try to keep people from seeing the beauty of the fact that God has always had a plan or pattern for people to be right with Him. Noah built an ark. Was there a plan or pattern there from God? Yes. The tabernacle was erected. Was there a pattern or plan there from God? The temple was constructed, 1 Chronicles 28. Was there a plan or pattern involved? When Naaman had leprosy and was told to go dip in the river Jordan seven times by God's man, was a plan involved? You see, the Bible does teach pattern theology. And it was mentioned by Drew in the Lord's Supper meditation. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayers, Acts 2.42. That brings me to my last point. Consider the great emphasis on the beauty of unity. I'll look at three or four passages ever so briefly. You've been so kind. In John 17, in John 17, on, in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prayed for unity. He would be betrayed, tried, and taken to the cross. And on the night he was betrayed and would begin to be tried and eventually taken to the cross, he was thinking about us. And he was praying that we would be one based on the teaching of the apostles, verses 20 and 21. And that we would be one so that the world would know that God had sent Jesus 
and that the Father is in Jesus and that Jesus is in the Father and that the relationship they have is a perfect harmony and oneness. I don't believe it's wrong to desire what Jesus prayed for, do you? I believe it's wrong to allow the status quo to continue. Secondly, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. And look at the repetition of the word peace in a book that's dealing with how Jews and Gentiles become one. Jesus is our peace. He made peace by the blood of His cross. He came and proclaimed, He preached peace to you that were afar off. Jesus prayed for unity. Jesus, Ephesians 2, 14 through 17, paid for unity. Lastly, turn to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1, 10. To a seemingly hopelessly divided church, Paul writes, he writes that you speak the same thing, that you be perfectly joined in the same mind and judgment that there be no divisions among you. The more we seek to reflect the Spirit of Jesus and to honor His teaching in the New Testament, the more we will desire 1 Corinthians 1.10. He prayed for it, he paid for it, and the consistent plea of the New Testament is to have this kind of mindset and outlook. As we close, I would be remiss to say that there are not some within churches of Christ that are departing from the principle of restoration. It ought to break our hearts. I would be remiss to say that there are not some in religious groups that are beginning to take strides toward a more biblical approach and doing Bible things in Bible ways and seeking to reflect Jesus.
and calling Bible things by Bible names, doing Bible things in Bible ways. In matters of truth, let there be unity. In matters of opinion, let there be liberty. In all things, let there be love. The love of Christ. And the love for His body, His bride, His church. Thank you. And young people, I hope you've listened. And those of us that are not so young, I hope you've listened well today too. The stakes are great. And the purpose of our being here in honoring and glorifying God is to help people see what God has done in Jesus to the salvation of their souls and to the glory of His name. Let us stand and sing.